Nationwide Primetime is coming up October 27th through the 29th, and you actually texted me what I find to be very good news. Oh, it's huge news. Uh, yeah, we got a text from Nationwide, and they've got their big primetime event coming up. And Kinsley, after they do their big buying thing, um, the Palooza, right? So then they come out of that, and then they have a keynote. And uh, last time, it was Mike Massimino, who was an astronaut. Guess who it is this time? I'm going to go with you and I. You and me. Dos Marcos. That's right. So we're really excited. You know, we've got the book launch coming up. And so everybody who attends this session is going to get a copy of the book. And we're going to take people through our book and um, kind of uh, apply it back to the 5,500 retailers in the nationwide member network. And uh, what's really cool about it for you and I is that it's not just about mattress and furniture retail. What we were going to talk about in the book applies to anyone in retail anywhere. So appliance guys, home theater guys, it's going to work for them too. So I'm fired up. How about you? We I'm don't even know what we're going to do. Yeah. Yet, well, so. we have, we've been trading ideas and, and really I think, you know, the economy is pushing into a place where experiences matter and the experiences at retail are certainly changing, but how can you help your customers truly transform their lives? And I think that's what we're going to be pushing to. So really excited. Make sure if you're a nationwide member, sign up. Uh, it's free for all members. Uh, go to nationwideprimetime.com to get registered, and we will see you there. So normally, right here at the beginning of the show, we also talk about our fantastic sponsor, Podium. Yeah, sure. So the cool thing is today we have Brad Parker on the show, and we're going to get to who Brad is and more of Brad's backstory. Everything from him kicking down doors and wearing cut suits to his time as CEO of a chain of lazy boy furniture galleries in Portland, Oregon. We're going to get to all that. Well, you know what's great is that Brad's middle name happens to be Podium. So <laughs> Bradley Podium Parker. That's it. So Brad. I do uh, love Podium. <laughs> you, you, you are the, the founding member of Door Counts as well. Door Counts, another one of our fantastic sponsors, and we love you guys, and, and it's been great to partner up with you. And then it was even more great for us when we found out that Door Counts integrates with Podium. So Door Counts, of course, allows you to do so many things with counting traffic and hooking it up to a CRM and a salesperson and making sure your customers are, are taken care of and you have somebody accountable to them. But then there's that moment whenever somebody walks out of your store, you want to get a store review or maybe even a product review later on. And you guys at Door Counts integrate with Podium. Talk about that. Well, I, I, we love Podium. Uh, having that third-party endorsement by, you know, Google reviews and all that is, is magic for business. And, um, you know, the cool thing about the integration is having an awesome review system is, is one thing, but then relying on people to remember to do it is, is a whole other matter. And the cool thing about that integration is that with door counts, you know, you, you process an opportunity and, and, uh, you're done with it, but then there's that prompting and that reminder and that integration with Podium that when you close out that opportunity, then you also can initiate the review and it's, it's all seamless. So people don't have to remember, oh gosh, I forgot to, to text the customer and send out the invite and all that. And with that integration, it's just a natural conclusion of a good standard, you know, interaction with the customer. Yeah, you don't have to think about it, especially whenever you have the door count system and it's going to, you know, you can automate some of those things and you can have it attached to the customer and you can know what that customer did in relation to that review. And we love um, pushing people over to podium.com forward slash dos, D-O-S, 
If you're a Dos Marcos listener, you can get 10% off and you can try the essentials package totally free. Go to podium.com forward slash Dos. And thank you very much, Brad. Dos Marcos Podcast. It's the greatest mattress industry podcast on the planet. Wait, isn't this the only mattress industry podcast? He's Mark Kensley. I truly felt bad for you at the time. He's Mark Quinn. I think Bigfoot was actually very pleasant. Together, they are Dos Marcos. So we are on the show today, Brad Parker, the founding partner of Door Counts and the CEO of, Brad, is it six Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries in the Portland, Oregon area? Is that number correct? It is six, yeah. There's, there's four in Portland, one in Salem, and one in Eugene. And so we got hooked up uh, through kind of the Dos Marcos uh, world, our little sleep ecosystem. And one yeah. of the things that we always talk about on the show is we like to curate ideas and technology processes that are cool. Whatever it is we can curate that's cool, we want to do it. And so when we found out about door counts, uh, we were just sold and, and we, we obviously align. And, and so we want to talk about some of that stuff. But I think a, a better place to start is going to be, how do you commute to work? <laughs> How do I commute? <laughs> that's a that's a trick question. Well, most most of the time I drive, but whenever possible, I do ride an electric skateboard and an electric bike. <laughs> Atta boy. So is it a longboard? <laughs> it's a big longboard. Yeah, and it's like surfing to work because there's there's a lot of industrial between my house and my office it's like two and a half miles and uh there's never any cars so i just get a kind of snowboard to work or surf to work however you want to do it it's got a few and it's it's it has nothing to do with you know saving fuel or anything like that although that's a great side benefit it's about surfing to work you know or snowboarding to work (laughs) it's just too fun that's tell me about the bike now do i did I get the right information? Did you, did you make the bike? I converted the bike. Yep, I did. It's, 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 it sounds really um, like, oh my gosh, really amazing. It's actually not that difficult. Um, just taking off the cranks and putting on a, a mid-drive motor and, you know, a little battery where the, the, the uh, water bottle goes. But it's, it's awesome. The thing just rips and uh, it's, it's, it's way more fun than I ever thought it would be. I just thought, well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to see if I can put the, pull this thing off. And sure enough, it worked. Just an ad for a battery powered bike. And it looked like a normal bike, but yeah. the people were like, we're having a blast driving these. Things. They are so fun. It's, it's way more fun than people, than you would think it is. It's way more fun. So I live in, well, we live right now in one of the bike capitals of the world in Bentonville, Arkansas. And I know that makes us close cousins with Portland. A lot of people are into cycling and so many people around here now have the pedal assist e-bike. And that means you have to pedal for for the, the motor to actually kick in, but they're riding around town with smiles on their faces. If you have to go out to a mountain biking single track trail where you want to session it and it's a long slog back to the top 
you know, it's like having a ski lift underneath you. You can just oh, go yeah. out and session these jump lines and just have a blast. People are having so much fun with it. It's, it, it is a blast. I've done uh, some electric mountain biking with my little sister, her, one of her uh, patients. She's a, she's a nurse, owns Oregon e-bike and they're in Hood River and Hood River's, you know, adventure capital with the gorge and the windsurfing and kiteboarding and all that. But there's tons of mountain biking trails. And we had so much fun riding those things. It was just, it's, it's really cool. I thought there was one or two and I just Googled it and there's like the 12 best electric bikes. I'm like, I had no idea there was that many electric bikes. Oh, it's booming. So Brad, it's we booming. Just, we're, we're so fired up and I, I want to make it clear too, to having you on the show, you're a sponsor of the show, but that's really not why you're here. You're here because Kinsley and I really geek out on you and what you've created because we're such fans of that in terms of our industry. Hi, Jonesy. Uh, we're such fans of what you guys are doing because of what it allows for retailers out there to do, which is to not fly blind, to navigate yeah. the course of their business with good intel and good data. Because if you don't have that, then you are flying blind and you're kind of guessing at yeah. different parts of your business. So we love what you do. So maybe you could start off kind of telling us like, what was the origination? Like, how did this whole thing start for you? Well, for me, it was, uh, I, I, I was, I'm a data guy, you know, I like to know what's going on and have, have real facts and numbers when I'm, when I'm making decisions and doing stuff. So, you know, I, when I started, there really wasn't a way of knowing how well you're doing. And a lot of it was focused on advertising because, you know, in retail, how much money you spend on advertising is, is obscene. And it's worse now than it's ever been. And the first time I saw, oh, gee, we spend $50 per customer on advertising per sale. Like, that can't be right. So that was originally what I was going for, was trying to understand how much I'm spending on advertising per customer. And it, of course, it evolves very quickly to how productive am I with how productive are the are the people that work for me and how productive are they with the customers that are coming through the door um but i always dreamed of this idea that customers could be assigned automatically to the salespeople that worked in the store and as much as i sought that as a solution it didn't exist and to my knowledge door counts is the only system out that really attaches a relationship you know it, it physically attaches the the salesperson with the customer as they come in let's let's go back in time a little bit though and tell us the real origination story about the guy from russia <laughs> the non-english speaking guy from oh yeah so you know i i go into our tualatin location and this was at a, you know long before any recessions and housing bubble bursts and all that stuff we actually had a part-time loadout person because we did loadouts at our stores uh this years ago and peter was uh hired by my manager in tualatin i went in there and and i'm like hey who's this guy oh this is peter we just hired him he doesn't speak english but he's learning and you know, he's, he's from, he's from Russia. I'm like, Oh, okay. Turns out he was actually living from Ukraine, but I, I started to get to know this guy and 
find out very quickly he's a dreaming wallpaper hanger i'm like well that's odd my mom hung wallpaper you know in our stores and so i'm like well there, there's a there's a talent to that oh by the way he's a journeyman electrician he was an electrician for 10 years before he came here and he's a firefighter and that's just a few of the things that i learned when i first met him and so you know fast forward 90 days i think it was about 90 days he's speaking fluent english and uh I, I really liked him. I, I started to really develop a relationship with this guy. Just he's very interesting. A lot of people aren't who they appear. So a guy doing loadouts is not someone that most people would give the time of day, but this is a super bright guy, very interesting guy and a warm, nice guy I really liked him. So tell him about this dilemma, trying to figure out our traffic counts and <laughs> he goes to Granger which is, you know, a, an industrial supply place. And he buys a, 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 an infrared eye, a little digital display counter thing, um, some sort of solenoids and I don't know what all. But he has this box of stuff. He goes, I, I build you counter. I build you signals. I build you uh, beams. I'm like whatever go for it see what you can do so i come back about a week later and he's literally cut a hole in the crown holding of the store and embedded this little digital readout it's lit it's lit up display he's got these beams on the door and he's just putting his finger between the doors and the little things going click 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 he's got no blueprints no plans there's no i'm gonna buy a door counter and install it he built it from scratch and kind of that was the first time we, we started, you know, effectively counting traffic in the mid nineties. And ever since then, it's been, you know, sort of a obsession, borderline obsession for me to accurately know what's going on with, with that. But that was, that was my first experience with a counter. And it's actually, we just remodeled that store a couple of years ago and, and took the crown molding off and there was the little you know, the little device was still in there. It's kind of cool. Do you have any sense of what Peter's up to these days? That's a different story for another day. Um, but uh, I, he's probably, uh, when, when I when I'm, I went to dinner at his house one time and, and he was buying BMW V12s, the 760s, I think they were. And they have two computers and no one can fix the computers. Well, he knows how to crack open the computer and he actually solders in there and, and can fix those computers and make those cars work. So he was, he was buying those all up for like a thousand bucks and then fixing them and, and flipping them. That was one thing he was doing last time I talked to him. Wow. So who knows? Have you guys ever seen the movie Ted Lasso? It's on the Apple show. TV. I told you, you told about me about that's okay. Yeah. You, told, you know what this story reminds me of? Nathan. Yeah. So like there's, a, there's like an equipment manager on this football team. It's Ted Lasso. It's on Apple TV. It's really actually a, a fun watch. But they got this equipment manager and the guy like you uh, doesn't judge the book by the cover. Gets to know Nathan a little bit. And before you know it, Nathan knows all this stuff about the team. No one's ever yeah. acknowledged that he's got skills. And he's like drawing up like winning plays for the team. And so it's so good for you for like seeing the, uh, the opportunity in him. Well, beware of the chocolates that they, they give you at a Russian dinner at the end of the meal. 
they're full of vodka and they just thought that was so funny when I was popping those in my mouth and I'm like, you know, it's like getting a red candy. You think it's cherry and it's fire. It's <laughs> <laughs> standard anyway. for the end of a Russian dinner, huh? Oh, they, they, they were waiting would just couldn't wait till I started eating those. Cause they were just thought that was so funny. I went to a, <laughs> a restaurant in London and I, they said it was a Russian restaurant. It's called Bob Bob Ricard. And one of my favorite things was at the table, there's a button. And above it, above the button, it says press for champagne. So what did I do? Okay. What? Press for champagne. And sure enough, they bring out champagne to you. This is, beautiful. this is a beautiful climate to dine in. We need a button in our studio for champagne. I, yes. That would tequila. be a great tequila. Press That's for true. tequila. That's true. I see. Is that a bottle of tequila behind you? That's uh, number one. Number one. To, to Dos Marcos, Brad, you are number one. Number one, Brad. That's right. Okay. So, hey, Brad, how, okay. did you, how have all your stores done? And I want to get back to door counts, but there's been a lot going on in Portland. Just curious how are your stores holding up? I mean, have you survived kind of the craziness of the current day? Yeah, for, yeah, for the most part. I mean, other than all of us, you know, Portlanders being heartbroken at what's going on. Um, you know, we've gotten through it. We had, we had some pretty significant, um, impacts from the smoke and the fires. I don't know if you guys followed that. I have, uh, I, I can't bring it up on the screen, but I have a picture of our distribution center and it looks like a nuclear bomb has gone off behind it yeah, and it's an orange glowing cloud. Um, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that, but it, gotcha. it, it was, um, and one of my peers has a store down in Southern Oregon and, and the fires were going right at his store. They were evacuating. It jumped the highway and burned the, his entire town down. Wow. Was that the right Alameda Drive fire? It was. Yeah, the Alameda fire down in Medford. And it, was, uh, it burned up the town of Phoenix, which is where um, their store was. It's just heartbreaking. Portland's know. in the middle of so much right now. You have the ongoing protests in downtown Portland. You yeah. had the worst air quality in the world for a period of time, maybe still. You have fires raging out of control, burning down entire towns. I think the Alameda Drive fire uh, burned down 2,300-plus homes and, and businesses and, yeah. and beyond. It's, it's a tough time in Portland in that area. Yeah, it, it, it really is. I, I, I mean, I'm hoping since things usually come in threes that we've had the, you know, the pandemic we, and the shutdown from all that the the unrest the 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 protests and violence and then the fires maybe that's it we'll be done well shifting gears into more yeah. pleasant things and we're yeah. glad you're okay Let's, and we uh we pray good things i appreciate that in your area for sure um brad one of the things that mark and i like we talked about in terms of just quantitative measurement of what you do um you have a lot of people how many people now have door counts it's like over a thousand doors I, I, it, it must be like, I'm not involved day to day to day with door counts yeah. as much, but yeah, it's, it, it's definitely, uh, it's getting up there. So what, what are you guys hearing like back from people? Like what, what, what are people most connecting to and what you're able to do for them? Like, so talk about it wow. maybe through the lens of your own business. And then what are your, your, the people using door counts? What are they telling you? Well, I think it depends on the audience. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that have been told you need a traffic counter, you need a traffic counter, they get a traffic counter 
and, and it might just be door counts or, or and, and that's a big revelation for a lot of people. And as you go down, you know, up the level of sophistication of the retailer, you will, you will get a very different answer. Um, because there is some sophistication built into door counts that we, we don't, we don't even talk about it. I can't even bring it up with people because it's so far over their head. They wouldn't know what to do with it. And it's even, you know, it was built in early on and I'll, I'll kind of cover that. But so having a, a sense of productivity is a huge aha moment for lots of people, like real, a real sense of their closing rate. And that hands down, it's a, it's a first time in their business history that they have it when they get our, our system and they start measuring close rate because it is accurate. And it is probably the first time any company is going to experience a true accurate close rate um, if they're you know, operating the system fully to its capacity. Then again, you move up the scale of sophistication. There are those that are really good at, at getting close to that number. And so for them, the CRM and follow-up becomes the crux of it. And that's, for me, that's where the magic is in our organization because we have a lot of tools built into that system where you can create events, you can create weather and create rain out of nothing. And that's, that comes from taking non-buyers, you know, prospects that have been put in. And, and, and when, you, when you can track the amount of information gathered from a non-buying visitor and shopper, that to me is as valuable as understanding how effectively people are selling. Because if you can get a name, an address, a phone number, and an email address from a person that you've just met, that's done with trust. People don't give away that information to anybody unless they trust them and feel like their best interests are served. So door counts will allow a retailer to track how effective their people are at gathering that information. We call it prospecting. So because we've learned over time that people are in the market for home furnishings and bedding and all that, bedding for way less time than furniture, but it's about, you know, 10 days to three weeks and then they're out of the market. And if they don't buy something, they won't buy anything. It's, re it's really strange. Um, so within that time window, door counts lets you pull those prospects together, create an event, send the information back to the salespeople to do a true RSVP follow-up, have a private event, and generate a Saturday level amount of volume on a weekday with no impact before or after um, on regular business. Somebody who's sophisticated will say, that's priceless. And I know door counts customers that's, that, that early on said that that ability is what saved their companies from going under. So you keep, now keep going up the scale Something you guys may not know is that there's a level of sophistication that can be activated in door counts that lets the salesperson tell themselves or their manager how far in the sale process did they get before they didn't close the customer. So now you have real-time coaching information. Was it during the opening, the gathering phase, 
the demonstration or trial close, you know, close, where did the sale fall apart? Now, we've, we've gone back and forth to activating that and turning it on and off, you know, be, but the reality is I'm not sure I know a retailer that's sophisticated enough and has their game together enough to actually use it. We're not at that level. And we're, you know, we've been lean practitioners since 2005. So having visual management tools and a lot of the follow-up tools that, you know, you would see in Toyota, those are things we're very familiar with and we're not able to use that live level of coaching guidance, you know, that's in there. So that's a long-winded answer, but it really is, depends on the retailer, what their sophistication level is to what their reaction is, their aha moment is. So Brad, one of the things that um, philosophically kind of brought us together, I think right away, uh, was the fact that we have all graduated from the Wizard Academy. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking My about- My favorite place, man. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I, I want you to explain what that is for people that don't know, but when I think about door counts and see what you've done in your business and how you've applied, you know, deep thinking and, and how you've, you know, strategically outlined your path forward, um, it, it just reminds me of, of the deep thinking that goes into- developing message, developing advertising, you wanting to see if that advertising worked and making all these things hold hands. But let's go, let's go back to the Wizard Academy. Describe to people what that is, how you got involved with that and what it means for you. Wow, left turn. I love it. Um, and, 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 and have you ever turned anyone into an animal like Kinsley has because you didn't like them? Because now that you have a wizard skills, I'm just... That's true. Well, I, I love the name of the Wizard Academy because it... It is a place for those people that are seeking what it offers and it repels everyone else just by its name. So you have to try to go there. You have to try to go there. And, and just like door counts, people that are seeking real improvement seek us out. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a natural marriage. As you say, we are philosophically aligned. The wizard Academy is like, it's like being invited to a think tank <laughs> and for people that like to understand how things work and, and how to do, do better and learn and, and be around smarter people than themselves, a think tank is like, really, I get to go? They're going to let me go to this thing? Um, that's how I felt when I went there. And, and Roy Williams has a, you know, a long history in Portland from the Portland Area Radio Council, and I saw him. He came to Portland, and this was early on when his articles and his writings were not yet formulated into his book, which was a huge, you know, New York Times bestseller, The, the Secret, um, or the, it was a Magical World's book on, you know, his, his um, advertising strategies and so forth and how to do, how to do it yourself. So when I when I met Roy and saw him, I mean, I consider him a mentor. He probably doesn't consider me a pupil. He might not remember me, but he's one person like, who are your mentors? I would, I would list him. I have a, a, another mentor from Jamaica, you know, he's an unbelievable business guy, but Roy's someone who's a, who's a very deep thinker and, um, and he's, he's really focused on the little guy. He doesn't like corporate America and he doesn't like, 
um, middle management, in, you know, butt covering kind of activities. He wants real authentic um, results and, and activity and, you know, creativity from people. So when I learned about the Wizard Academy and read his first book, I was just like, I, I, I got to, I got to know more. I got to go to this. I got to go down there and check it out. And it took me a long time to kind of get the nerve to go. And it was a, it was a game changer. Understanding how the brain works is really what they teach. And then understanding how information goes into your brain. That's, that's basically um, my first trip, what I learned. And I've been, I try and go every year for different reasons. Ryan Dice, who started the Digital Marketer, he's on the board. He teaches a class, so you can go and learn actually from Ryan himself with 20 people. Um, the classes are, are maximum 20 people, period. That's all they'll ever take. There's, and, and you're there with like-minded people that want to learn and want to grow and want to stretch. So for me, that's, that's kind of, things. So I don't know if that helps explain it. Our, uh, I, I think it cut out a little bit whenever you were saying the, the things that you learned. So re-say re that so we don't miss it. And then tell us, uh, as a follow-up to that, whenever you walked away from the Wizard Academy, maybe the first or second time, what did you apply or what did you notice yourself changing or applying? Okay, so what I learned, one of the, the, the base class that you go to teaches you how the brain functions in a very scientific way, like it goes really deep. And, and, and then from that, understanding how it works, how does information get into the brain, left side or right side? So there, there's, a, there's a Monet version and a Frank version. And, and those, you know, I don't wanna get into the, the teaching of it, but Monet is, is you think about uh, impressionist, and then Thomas Frank's a photographer, and he, he is all about elimination of everything except what's important. And those are fundamentals of good writing, you know. And and you study the people that can write uh, uh, the most profound writings, you know, Hemingway and those the 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 giants, and what they can do in a single page versus what it takes other people a hundred pages. And and there's great skill in that. So right away i mean i was already at odds with a lot of my peers in my approach to advertising just from what i learned from roy and and i believe that the message is the most important thing and always will be and a lot of people get hung up in the data how many impressions what's the frequency you know whether it's tv or radio or print or whatever it's never about that it's always about the message so I came away, I started really focusing on that as much as anything else that I ever did with, with advertising was making sure that the message was right. And in a system with, like with Lazy Boy, Lazy Boy does so many things amazingly well, um, but it is a system and it relies on um, putting things together for a large group of retailers. So it, personalization and, and meeting the needs of each individual retailer um, with a blanketed approach, there's, there's inherent 
mediocrity in a, in a lot of that because you, 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 you have to take off the top and raise up the bottom and sort of put a solution together that works for everyone. And that, that means that doing things outside of that, um, you know, are challenging. So, I mean, that's, I guess, answers your question. I don't yeah, know. What are some of the examples that come to mind of messages that you were able to implement outside of that system that have resonated with people or you felt cut through the clutter or accomplished the goals that you had? Well, we, we're, we're a big radio advertiser. So that in itself um, is, is markedly different. And I'm in Portland, Oregon, which is, is one of the, the most unique radio markets in the country. It's a radio test market for a lot of companies um, because it's easy to cover. But it's Brad, not easy to saying, cover. People are saying radio is dead. It's not, it's not going to, it's, they can say that. Let, let, let the people believe that. cuts through and provides to the listener. And then you hear back over and over again, like 50 times from people. Oh, I heard that. Ah, that was amazing. You're like, ah, oh, radio must be really dead. <laughs> I also think about one of, the, one of the principles I learned at the Wizard Academy in terms of message being most important um, was this idea of people making buying decisions, not in a vacuum. So I may call my friend, Mark Quinn, my friend, Brad, mom and dad, if they, you know, I might talk yeah. to my friend, Stacy, because she bought the same washer and dryer and people are, are making decisions by trying to reach out to people in their network, trying to get some of that word of mouth. Well, that means everybody in your ecosystem can become influenced with whatever medium they choose to consume. And, and a lot yeah. of people are consuming lots of different types of media. So the message that cuts through is going to matter and is going to be the most important thing. Well, the thing, the, the big takeaway for me was like how efficient the human brain is at excluding everything that's irrelevant. And that is a survival, survival skill that is tuned to the most intense level of any creature on earth. It's like you can ignore everything that's not relevant to what you're doing to survive. And in modern society, that means I can ignore every ad that speaks ad speak because it's irrelevant to me. I, I can, I, when, as soon as you hear ad speak, you can immediately, your brain goes, don't need to listen to this. So our, our mission has been just to get people to like us. If somebody's not in the furniture market, nothing in their life is saying, we need to go buy new furniture right now. No matter what I say, about price and ad speak that most companies do is going to make somebody go buy a sofa. Sofas are free today. Everybody, sofas are free. Do you think everyone's going to come and get a sofa? No. They're not. So no matter what you think about the typical, you know, shouting price and item and doing all those things, it doesn't, it, it doesn't resonate with people who aren't in the market. So does that mean you you shouldn't advertise because you're talking to all these people who aren't in the market? No, you're you're putting money in the bank for the future. You want people to like you. You know, I I love that, and that's what I love about radio too. You can broadcast a a story to a lot of people. You don't know if you're targeting a, a certain segment of the population, 
and that's what digital can do. And that's what everyone's geeking out on is the fact that they can go into a zip code and all that. But your approach, Brad, where, uh, where you're, you're, you're going out with radio and you're telling a great story and delivering a message to a large cut of people, if you're yeah. just here, you never know. You could have missed so many people. And to your point, yeah. if you're telling the right story and the right message, then not only are you getting them to like you, but you're also appealing to a much larger audience that inc- improves your chances of getting them into a store, right? Yeah, and here's here's the funny thing. Like you mentioned, digital, right? So if if I have a, a a message out there that resonates with the people, they laugh, they think it's funny, or they're interested in it, you know. And I and I you know say, oh wait, hey, today's September, September twenty third. What happened on September twenty third? Oh, that was the year I fell off the roof and straddled the fence. I remember that. I my scar was bugging me today from when I fell off the roof. You know, it's like totally made it up story, but suddenly I have your attention, right? So I've engaged you, you've listened to my ad, and then next week there's a new ad and, and I continue to engage you over time. And then I, then I run some digital. And let's say it is an, an ad, a digital ad or a digital campaign that says, you know, this weekend sleepers are on sale or you can get a recliner for, you know, whatever. The digital response is going to be huge because the radio has done the legwork and and Roy would say yeah the digital weasels are going to take all the credit so somebody who's really effective in their advertising with their message who suddenly starts digital is going to mistakenly think digital's the thing digital did this digital did that you know it's not the case you're doing the heavy lifting with the message Talked to a guy at um, actually was at the Digital Marketer Conference in San Diego, Ryan Dice's conference. So yeah. I was out there a couple of years back, and this guy was analyzing his business, and he realized he was stuck at seven figures. And so he put together this group of people that had taken seven-figure businesses to eight and nine figures. And of course, they talked about just the business principles, practices, operations behind it, but he wanted to isolate as much as possible down to the advertising component. And they were focused heavily on digital. These were e-com businesses. And he said, finally, after weeks of meeting, a theme emerged. The people that went from seven to eight or nine figures were advertising in certain streams. So on certain platforms, call it YouTube, or maybe on Facebook, And whenever something would work, they would put more money behind it. But then they reached a point of diminishing return and they couldn't just turn on the money machine and get more business. So all of these businesses that made that exponential leap to eight or nine figures had one thing in common. They created surround sound campaigns, advertising in all- I like that, surround sound, that's cool. They were doing, you know, it's stuff maybe in the analog or the traditional space. They were doing digital. They would create these surround sound campaigns, email marketing, you know, Google display ads, social marketing content. And they said when they did that and they, they stopped trying to measure each dollar coming from YouTube, for example, that's when they saw the true lift. Mm-hmm. And- you know, it sounds like what Brad was saying, what, to tack onto what you said, Kinsley, is like, <clears throat> Brad, what you're saying is like the radio is good. And it's a broadcast thing and it's a wide net. You cast a wide net. 
But then with the digital, you come back and reinforce it, kind of what you were saying. It's not just digital. Yeah. You come back and reinforce it, and those two layered on top of each other like really creates great results. And if, you. and if your message is off, yeah. then, you know, I always say this, when things go wrong, they probably went wrong at the beginning. Again, right. If your message was off, it's not going to cut through the clutter. If you can't grab attention and talk about, I fell off the roof and straddled the fence. If you can't do yeah. that, nobody's going to listen to what you had to say. So spending any amount of money or creating any type of surround sound probably isn't going to work. But I'm, I'm sure those businesses that this guy was talking about got the message right. And then they were able to push yeah. it out. Uh, the, other, the other thing is like it is insanely difficult to write good copy. That was the other thing. I was like, oh, you can, you can do all this work and have the most amazing uh, strategy for buying media and, and getting your message out there. And then you're, you're like, the, what happens is the last thing is like, oh, we need a spot to run or we need a, you know, we need a digital ad. And, and that's, that's where the least amount of time gets placed. So one of the things that, that Roy has, the Wizard Academy has, you, you can subscribe to um, be part of the, the American Small Business Institute. And once you're subscribed to that, you can send in copy. And Roy will, every month, they have an hour, hour long um, live meeting and he takes stuff caught copy that people have submitted and he redoes it. And you look, you, you look at it, it's like having remember, remember in uh, back to school when, when Rodney Dangerfield had Kurt Vonnegut as his tutor, <laughs> his writing oh, yeah. tutor. <laughs> and you're like, how, how can somebody take these words and make them so much better and work better? And it's just, that just becomes a, a pursuit that it, it, it never stops yielding good fruit. You know, you, the, the, the better you are at writing, if you, if you work on that and continue to work on that, it never stops giving. And the best thing that you so That was a get, huge thing. Yeah, the best thing you can get from your audience is a reaction. I remember mm -hmm. I told you about this. I may have mentioned it on the show, but I wrote an ad for Englander that went in sleep retailer. And it simply said... It was great sex or great sleep. Either way, Englander's the answer. And there was a little more to it than that. And I got a, I got a phone yeah. call from a retailer that did not sell our product in New Hampshire that said it was incredibly offensive and we should be ashamed mm -hmm. of ourselves. And then a couple of weeks after that, I got a, an email from a friend of mine, Robin Azevedo mm -hmm. McCroskey sure. in San Francisco, who said, it's brilliant. I love this ad. It reminds me of something we did in the past. So it was an ad that actually got a reaction. And I think so many people are scared of those reactions, good or bad, but the middle is death. You would rather have love and hate yeah. reactions to your message. Well, that, that funny you mentioned that. Uh, uh, years ago, I hired a, a studio in Seattle to make some two spots. And I hired one of the best writers I know. This guy was in Portland and he's a, he's a genius. He's on the spectrum. You know, he's just one of those incredibly talented guys. Wrote, he wrote two spoof monster ballad spots. And they're, they're absolutely hilarious. And uh, I, I, I ran this one by my friend's mom. He's, his, he's a Christian evangelist and his mom, you know, they travel the world. And uh, um, I ran it by her and she was like, oh, 
and then she smiles she goes but it is funny and it's it's about the these two people singing back and forth you know futon baby and she says it's so ugly and he says but it was my brother's fraternity brothers and she says who calls the shots now but goes back and forth and then it says it's lazy boy or you're cut off <laughs> and then he says we're going to lazy boy but it's in this big monster ballad well it accidentally got trafficked onto the local christian radio station which i've i use forever and lazy boy got like 50 phone calls <laughs> but you know christian people have sex so it's okay I they mean, do and it was funny it was funny but some people don't have a sense of humor and they didn't they didn't appreciate the humor but it was funny and even if i, I every time i listen to those ads i think i could run those today and they still hold up amazingly well. Do you have so, those you could send our way? Can we put them on our Facebook page? I don't see why not. So, okay, send it to us. So go over to our Facebook page. Is it just facebook.com slash Dos Marcos? Yeah, Dos Marcos Podcast. Dos Marcos Podcast. And we'll I'm going to get there. myself in trouble. You guys got to keep me out of hot water here. We, of course. Look hot at water. us. Like, we are hot we, water. We are and hot you water. jumped in You totally us. jumped in. You knew what you All were right. getting into. So, Brad, I, I love what you're saying, and we, we talk about, like, at Roy's Academy, uh, one of the thing that, things that I loved is the two concepts, the third gravitational body. Kinsley and I talk about that a lot, right? So, oh, yeah. in, in our world, we, we took a concept of a mattress, and then we took a concept of construction being marrying two things together, uh, and then we called them hybrid, and then we were trying to figure out how to launch it into the market. And so naturally, we picked a, a rap video uh, to create a story around that. That was the third gravitational body in our story. Doesn't uh, belong, but it fits. It doesn't belong, but it's just so weird that like you can't help but like look at it or pay attention to it. So you were talking about like you, it's easy to drown out the noise. But when yeah. you're using dialogue like you talked about or that third gravity, have you found those techniques that you learned with Roy? Have you like used some of those and some of the copy you've created? Uh, yes, yes and no. I, I, I tend to find myself doing things the most difficult way. I don't, <laughs> I think it's a defect. So we've, we've done a lot of dialogue spots which are the most difficult to write and and racking our brains on and trying to put a dialogue because we want personality to come through i went to ad week at was wizard academy where you get three or four of the partners and you send a bunch of material and in, in your business profile in in months in advance and you prep for this thing and there's only there's only 10 people there and it's four i think it was four partners per client per per business and then they spend like five hours with you analyzing all aspects of your business, not just advertising. And, and um, you know, the fact that we're a lean practitioner and our culture and how we conduct our business with, you know, respect for the individual. We, we like there are years when we've generated over 5,000 ideas with less than 100 employees and implemented them that that story was like critical for them to be told. And I'm like, uh, I don't, you know, what, how do you tell that? I'm like, well, that's the thing you have to, you have to be in your ads. You have to voice your ads. You have to include some of that, those elements. Um, and you know, I, I get overwhelmed with that. I start to feel like I'm getting way out over my skis. Um, and you know, kind of, I get, like I said, that, that 
system-wide messaging that takes place with a system like Lazy Boy pulls, it tends to pull me back more to the middle. So I really haven't been able to, to step out that far. And part of it is just, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be at odds with the system and, and there's the, the risk of that. And I also don't want to get too far afield from my TV messaging, which is produced by Lazy Boy and, and, and our agency. And, you know, I can't create my own TV ads. That's just not part of how the, these systems work. So I, I don't know. I, that third gravitational body and really being out there is something that I aspire to. And, and I'm not sure I'll ever get there. We honestly. got you. We're going to write you a spot. Yeah. We're... <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I have no fear. We only have, and I have fear. <laughs> you, you just have to air it on the Christian radio station. For sure, that's, all, that's the only request. That's the only request. Why did I agree to this podcast? Are you sweating? <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, I am. I'll take another hard, hard turn because I have these random things I've jotted down. What is the Shingo Prize? The sh Oh my gosh, you guys! I love you. Um, so, <laughs> so if if. This is, I'm just going to be honest. If you, if you described a business that was operating perfectly and you broke it down to every area that you could possibly imagine and you had a descriptive level of optimized behavior and execution, uh, and then you, you had a way of measuring that against an organization you would be getting close to what the Shingo Prize is. So if you, if, you, if you know of a company that's won a Shingo Prize, it is so difficult to win that you can, be, you can rest assured that that company is phenomenal. Now, I didn't win one of those. What, what I did was uh, we, we had this crazy idea that we could shorten the learning curve of a salesperson from a year from a new hire to be effective and try and get that down to, let's say, 90 days. So my, my good friend, Mike Martin, was a guest instructor at, of a TWI training session at Esco Steel in Portland. And, um, and he came back and said, you know what, there's this methodology called TWI that was used to train women during World War II to weld, build ships, boats, guns, tanks, planes, uh, take an unskilled workforce, and it was used to train two and a half million women that were in the manufacturing side of the war effort. And um, what if we could apply that to training salespeople? Most people would say, we're not having this conversation. You're crazy. And I'm, I'm like, sure, let's, let's do it. So we spent two and a half years breaking down the process of selling and the training of it, putting it through this methodology that was refined during World War II that was actually used in the rebuilding of Japan. There's a whole history here that's fascinating. We had the original Marshall Plan documents that were in the vaults of Toyota the original papers, right? And how to execute this thing. And 
we 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 pulled it off and when we and we're still running uh twi training sessions in our business we're running one this week with four new hires and our people come out of this training you know pretty much at a veteran level of effectiveness in 30 days it's that effective and so we submitted our our um we did a write-up on it a case study on applying TWI training methodology to sales, which is a very, it's for a tangible process. And the crux of it was to train lens grinders to build bomb site lenses for the bombing, the bombers with the Harris bomb site that was developed by the Kansas farm boy, you know, that was like a measure of a hundred X more accurate or 10 X more accurate than German bombers. The American bombers were able to hit targets very accurately from this little bomb site that this Kansas farm boy had developed to grind lens for a, a site like that is considered a black art. It takes five years apprentice program to learn how to grind lens. You grind a lens and I'm go totally geek out on this stuff. And I'm sorry if you guys were like, what are you talking about? So you grind a lens by heating up Amber ancient tree sap. You heat it up, it gets soft, and, and you use that amber to grind this lens. So that was one of, the, one of the processes that we really wanted to shorten during World War II. So at the end of the war, it was a two-week process to train someone to grind a lens from five years to two weeks. There's your evidence, right, of, of its effectiveness. So we, anyway, we submitted our case study, and we won a research prize for that. So, so Brett, what, what really is, can, a, a, can you, really cool accomplishment. I think, we're, I think we're, our connection's really bad right now. Yeah. How about now? We're back. We're back. Right. We think we're back. Are we back, Brett? Can you, you guys are, you look like 1960s, uh, de high definition. If, so now we're back. So Brett, can you, can you, <laughs> is there a way to, is there a way to summarize the difference in a normal training approach to what you guys did? Is there a way to make, to explain that? Yeah. Yeah. So in a normal training process, you have a study, um, you know, let's say opening the sale and it might be 200 words and five pages. In the TWI training methodology, it might be 40 words, and, and it, it's, it's a very basic process that's proven. It's so proven, it's, it, it's used by hundreds of companies now worldwide. There's a TWI training society. There's conferences for it. And it's basically, you, it, it's, it's learned by teaching. So the, when you, when you um, I might even have some notes on this here. So let me find this really quick. What does TWI stand for? Training within industry. It's a military acronym. It's really kind of a lame thing. But so we remember this. The, so think about this. We remember 10% what we read, 20% of what we hear, 30% of what we see, 50% of what we see and hear, 70% of what we discuss with others, 80% of what we do, and 90% what we teach. So what, what TWI does is it combines doing and teaching. 
And so you, you're taking the process of selling, which is, uh, you know, open, gather, demo, close, follow up. Those are the basic steps. And, you know, steps of selling have been around for 10,000 years. Um, you break it up into a whole part whole. So I'm, I'm going to teach you the process um, in seven steps. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show it to you. And then I'm going to show it to you again and tell you the major steps of what I'm doing. I'm going to break it down. And then I'm going to show it to you again, major step and key points of what, what, what's key about that each step. And then I'm going to show it to you again. And I'm going to tell you the major step, the key point, and the reasons why I do it. Then I'm going to have you do it. And then you're going to do it three more times after that, telling me the major steps, the key points, and the reasons why. And so you're automatically doing it. You learn by doing it, and then you learn by teaching it. So in selling, the way we do it is we have a five-day camp, and it's a whole part, whole. So day one is open, and day two is open. Day three is open, gather, demo. Day four is open, gather, demo, close. So by day four, we have done the opening and the information four times or open four times. So the most important step in the sale is opening the sale and getting trust and building a relationship. So we're repeating that through the week. Every day we add on to it and add on to it and add on to it and force it. And, and so that process gets a, a, someone who's never sold in their life through an active role play and describing their steps as they're going through it for a week. By the end of the week, you can watch someone who's never sold in their life go through an entire sales presentation flawlessly being watched and describe what they're doing as they do it. So it takes a tremendous amount of trust and, and um, respect and a, and a safe environment to do that. Like more than you can imagine, because it's terrifying. It's the biggest fear, right? Public speaking, get in front of your peers and yeah, and, try, and, try, and trying to yeah. go after that. But I mean, how, how important is the selling process? So the fact that you took that much time to refine it, that's incredible. And turnover in our industry is what it is. So it's a, yep. it's a high result area to invest time and attention. So maybe they have one for podcasting. We could like learn how to yeah. do this right. So. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it, it, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, we've taught, we've probably had, I'm going to say 30 different companies, non-related to retail, none of them retailers, retailers there. In fact, your listeners are probably t turned off by now. They've probably signed off because they think we're crazy. They're like, well, we have a system. We have a check sheet. It's like, it's not a check sheet. It's not a check sheet. It's completely different than that. The fact that it took us two years to break down the process into a job breakdown sheet, which is what TWI uses, um, is you know testament to how difficult it really is. And one of the one of the the early things that I learned was like there's this thing called the fire underwriters knot, and they were they had all these fires when electricity was first brought to cities there was always fires related to electrical connections. And because there was always a cord and, and, and wires were external to the wall, they weren't in the wall. 
And so pe when people got electricity brought into their apartments in, in New York, for example, they would run the wires and they would hang these fixtures from their ceiling and they had a cord to pull the, you know, to turn the lights on and off. Well, without a proper knot on the wiring, when the more they pulled on, the more it would arc it and it would light the fixtures on fire and would cause a fire. So one of the earliest electrical codes was a fire underwriter's knot on the fixtures. So one of the very first things we do on day one of our TWI training is teach someone how to tie a fire underwriter's knot. And there's a sheet that we have that's from the 20s that tells you how to tie a fire underwriter's knot. And you give people the sheets and you give them the cords and you say, here, tie it. And they're like, they can't. So you, you show them how to do it and you give them the sheet and you show them and they can't. And then you use the TWI process, first major step, second major step, third major step, first major step, key point, second major step, key point, third major step, key point. All the while you're showing it to them and explaining it as you do it. And then the third time you're doing major step, key points, and this is why we do this. And people need to know why they're doing things to learn. They always ask, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Well, it's important to give eye contact to a customer when you're shaking their hand. It's natural behavior. You want to you want to show genuine interest in someone. So making eye contact when you shake someone's hand when they walk through the door, that's the re the reason why they want you want them to trust you. So obviously, I'm getting to major step: shake their hand, key point: look them in the eye. You know. So on day one, you can have all these salespeople, new hires that can tie a fire underwriter's knot in about five minutes. You're like. And when you see that take place and you're like, you, okay, maybe you guys aren't crazy. We start to lose the crazy part because we talk about all this history and, you know, how, how big a breakthrough this, this training was. It, no. Then it all sorts right. to click. We, start, we <laughs> talk about earlier about grabbing people's attention and doing something, you know, unexpected to disrupt the schemas and our guessers that we have in our brains. And so I can imagine people coming into your your work environment and how are we going to learn how to be a better lazy boy recliner salesperson? We're going to tie a fire underwriter's knot. Well, that's, that's right. Attention. You know, that's there's like, your gravitating body. It changes my entire expectation. And then through the lens of that activity, you're able to demonstrate why this process works. You went from somebody who was completely yeah. unable to tie this knot to someone who's, who's able to do it. And what, what a great, what a it's, great you know, what we're trying to do in this process, and I think this kind of goes to the heart of door counts itself, is that what we're trying to do is build muscle memory for people on doing standard right behaviors. That's what the goal of TWI is, to give a basic level of standard right behaviors when somebody's a new hire. And we're, they're not going to get it in, you know, in a, in a five-day boot camp. We all know that. And it's going to take them time, but we have a refresher course at 30 days, at 60 days, and at 90 days. You're trying to get people into a pattern. Once you have a pattern, when, when the chips are down and you have an angry or difficult or awkward customer or whatever, people revert back to what they're comfortable with and what they are naturally you know, accustomed to doing. And if we're able to build in a, a pattern and a basic behavior set that they can fall back to. And it might not be cemented in and be total muscle memory, 
but it's like in tennis if you have a natural backhand cross court shot every time the ball goes over to your left side you're going to do a backhand cross court shot it's going to become natural so you're trying to build those skills in there that are natural so um taking the guesswork out of it and having that pattern it's like giving salespeople the ability to go bowling with the guardrails on but you're, you're talking about Toyota, right? And in, in quality over time, and that's it too. It's like process that is repeatable so you can yeah. get the same type of outcome, right? Right. So until you've, if you've equipped a person to be able to see, that's one of the principles of lean is being able to see. I want to see waste for what it is. In a selling process, waste is words. You're saying too much, you're saying too little. You're having to repeat steps. Whatever you're trying to accomplish with a customer, you want to eliminate waste. So um, defining waste for what it is and giving people the ability to see is crucial. So I think it's unfair to put somebody out into a sale and they haven't been trained and they're not equipped. So then when you, when you, you take door counts and now you're being the salespeople, and this is where I think people get it wrong, equips the actual sale of the tools. So the post. If I'm a student and I look at my productivity every day in comparison to my peers' health and last year and yesterday and last week and everything else, I don't believe people want to fail. I think they want to succeed. They want to do better than they did yesterday and they want more money. So what Dork does standard right selling behaviors and gives people the ability to see how are they doing with those things relative to every single customer coming through the door and at that point they're now like I said early maybe before we started the show you want a system that's self-healing and self-correcting and when a fully trained salesperson now has accurate data on how well they're doing with a customer how well they're following the pattern. Are they including all the sale? Those are all reflective in their close rate and their average sale. You've just given them the tools to self-improve. And if you have a lean culture, you know, peer-to-peer -peer coaching and respect for the individual, you know, using scientific thinking, focusing on process, not people, you start to get this improvement culture to build in an organization based on sales and people that frankly is not known for that. Retail salespeople are not known for helping each other make more money. They wanna make more money for themselves. And, and so there's, there's, there's a lot of, you know, you said the Wizard Academy kind of is for people trying to think about advertising different. I think Door Counts has been an outlet for us to apply a different way of thinking about retail and and i believe giving it the respect it deserves giving salespeople the respect they deserve it's it's hard it's really hard so anyway a little bit of a bunny trail that for you well I, I love what you how you think about things and we talk about uh roy williams and some of the teachings from the wizard academy uh it goes back to find something that inspires you and deconstruct it and whether you're talking about yeah. deconstructing a message or an advertisement, deconstructing a sales process, 
you know, picking your business apart in such a way that you, you end up winning the, the Shingo prize for research. You clearly are very good at that, picking it apart, deconstructing it, figuring out what makes it work or what makes it not work. I, I, that's very nice. I think one of the, I would say one of the only things I'm good at is that convincing people that things are easier than they are. <laughs> Otherwise <laughs> that, you know, getting people that do things they wouldn't normally do. I think that's my, where maybe my skills are not, I mean, I'm not, I don't know how to do all that stuff. All I know is I can convince people that they can do it and then they do it. I'm like, see, it wasn't that hard. And they're like, you're an idiot. That was impossible. It took us two years. Why did you make us do that? And they're like, oh, I see. This was really cool. This works amazing. You know, TWI is amazing. I thought it was stupid. It's not. It's cool. So I think that's what it comes down to is being able to convince people that they can, that this isn't going to be as hard as they think it is. What do you think we should, you and I teaming up right now, Brad, what do you think we should try and get Quinn to do? What should we <laughs> convince him to do? You know, um, see that bottle behind you? <laughs> <laughs> Sold. <laughs> so That'd I see a chicken, yeah, a bottle of tequila. Family. I don't see a spray bottle. You know, maybe, uh, there, maybe there's something there. I don't you know. You know what? He, he talks me into stuff all the time, Brad. Um, listen, you, I, 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 we said it at the beginning, and this isn't uh, blowing smoke. We, we love what you do. Um, your approach to your own business, as well as what you've created with door accounts, is incredibly cool. And um, it's a great tool. And there's a lot. And, and you said earlier, I, I think I've tuned your audience out a couple of times. Actually, you're in the right spot for this conversation because our audience tunes into this show because they want to get better. Uh, they want to grow, yeah. they want to learn, they want to be the best version of themselves and for their business. So uh, a lot of what you're talking about really addresses all of that. And uh, we're really grateful that you made the time for us and we're willing to share a lot. I of appreciate experience. it, you guys. I just want to help people win and do better and elevate retail and, and help retailers win. I, I just think we get such a short stick, you know, and mocked and ridiculed or whatever and people like oh i got a retail job you know it's it's a career and we are running companies that have a sales process person to person it's not clerking it's selling and i i think it's a great it's a great career and if we can help retailers win and do better then i'm super happy about that i just think that's awesome and i love that you guys are putting the attention on an industry that doesn't have anybody putting in a ruining thing. I just don't think that's the case. I just don't. So I appreciate that. Well, it's, it reminds me of something that we, we had a conversation with a guy named Brian Morgan, who's going to be on the show uh, coming up here in the next few weeks. And he said, look, when people come in to buy, furniture or mattresses from his store in Austin. Most of the time they're going through something. They're moving into a new home. Yeah. They got divorced. Yep. They got married. Mom had to yep. move into a home. And that's such a great yep. chance to put purpose behind what those sales people, those RSAs can do for somebody to help them out during this time of transition. And, and I, you know, we talked about it when we gave our speech at the furniture today, uh, betting conference, 
winning in the transitions is, is a sweet spot that not a lot of people pay attention to. You can win mm -hmm. the hearts of people during their transitions. And who gets to do that? Retail does because they're, they're going yeah. to do something. There's a transition happening and we can be part of that in a, in a positive way. And we're getting invited into people's most crucial part of their life. You know, we're affecting that where they live. It's not a car. It's not a wedding ring. It's none of those things. It's, it's their life. And I cover this for like an hour in orientation with new hires, which I do with every single one is like, Hey, this, this purchase happens about every seven years. And you think about how much life goes on between seven years and what, what caused the person to get in their car today, turn the key in their car and drive to a furniture store. It is not a sightseeing trip. They're there for something big and give it the respect. And, you know, they're inviting you into their life and it's a huge deal. I mean, I, I'm with you guys. I think that's, that's a great point. And, and I try and really bring that home with, uh, with new hires to give them a reason and for enjoying what they're doing and having purpose with it. Cause it's, it's people, man, it's people. That's what I was going to say. What you're talking about is just purpose. Like, why are you here? What yeah. business are you in? If you're, yeah, if you're in the, totally. if you're in the job, if your job is like sell stuff to people, that's just not the right place for us. I, I'm sure that's what you tell them. But if you're here to serve the people, that's what we see yeah. as our job with this podcast. It's to serve this audience and help them. And if you do that, if that's the purpose, if that's the intention driving behavior, then that gets you a different result than a yeah. guy that's trying to sell stuff, right? So Yeah, and, and as a business owner, if all you're doing is developing your people, you will do nothing but win. Mm -hmm. And that's all we're trying to do is just develop our people. And it doesn't matter that we're a retailer. We could be, we could be making shovels. Mm -hmm doesn't really matter. You develop your people. They have a purpose. They feel respected. They feel like they have a contribution to make. They're heard. Their ideas matter. And they'll give you the world. They will run through a wall. It's amazing. And, and it's fun to be a part of. Like, they're, you know, you just, you gotta, you gotta love it when you see these light bulbs go off and people are like, did you see what I did? Oh my gosh, my idea, it had this impact. My idea is everyone's using my idea. I'm like, yeah, they are. And we love it. And we, we're appreciative of that and recognize them for that. Super my killer. Friend Doug Stewart's an amazing trainer. Uh, used to work for Tempur-Pedic, uh, owned furniture and mattress store that he inherited uh, through his family. And now he's just involved in training. And, and he said one of the biggest hurdles that he has to go through is a lot of people say, you know, what if I invest all this money and this time into my people and they leave? And he says, what if they stay? What if you don't? What if they stay? What if you don't? And what if they stay? That's exactly what if right. they stay? Yeah, they leave. Totally. Well, Brad, it's been great having you on the show. I have one more question. That's, since I, yeah, try, I, I, I have one more question since I try to tie it back to, you know, we do a lot in mattress business and sleep and that entire space. So... I have to ask you, Lazy Boy, obviously known for recliners. How many people do you estimate? Hang on one second. We may be frozen. Are we frozen again? Oh, we're back. I think we froze up. I think Brad was napping, actually. You guys are a little bit frozen. You just yeah. nodded off. I, I was saying, you know, Lazy Boy is known for recliners. And I'm wondering, in your estimation, how many people do you think sleep in their recliners every night? Oh. You mean I would long? say 
I don't know how many, but I, I can tell you, we, we sell a lot of recliners to people specifically as a bed. It's pretty common. Did you say you sell them and the people come in knowing that that's going to be their primary place to sleep? Oh yeah, absolutely. It happens every day. Did you know that? I, I just, it was a question that came to mind because I'm like, yeah, I know people kick back and sleep in the recliners. And, you know, at one point, Lazy Boy actually owned the Englander brand yeah, in the yeah. U.S. And so I was thinking about the connection back to sleep. And I'm like, wow, I, I know people that have slept yep. in recliners. Yep. And I thought, how, how common is it? You know, I, I was friendly with uh, Doug. I can't, the CMO at Lazy Boy, do you recall his last name? Doug Collier. Great guy. Uh, and I got no good Collier. discussion with him about it one time. Yeah. And yep. So I think of a recliner is a great place to nap. I think there's a time, if they're not sleeping all night, how many people take naps? If you ask that question, I mean, it's like so huge. Um, and so I always wondered why they yeah. didn't like talk more about that part of the use of that chair. I thought it was a huge miss because everyone loves to nap. It's the football game. It's the, it's your little spot to go. Lazy for Sunday. Lazy yeah. Sunday. Yeah. And they never really, never really called that part out. So maybe, maybe there's an opportunity, right? I, I'm telling you the message is the most important thing. And, and they don't talk about that. They don't talk about the dog sleeping mm -hmm. on the, the chaise footrest. That's all padded, you know, and upholstered in, um, the fact that you get your feet above your heart, that's why people sleep in them a lot is to get their feet above their heart. They have swollen ankles, circulation issues, um, and that's the only place they can <clears throat> get that relief. So it's very, very common. I don't know numbers, but it, it's more than I would have thought. Definitely. That's why, and that's why, the, that's why the adjustable base is becoming so yeah. popular at retail. Huh, interesting. I, I didn't think that I thought you would have some sort of estimation, but I didn't think it would be it happens every day. That's a shocker to me. Well, since we're talking about the recliner for sleep, we should on the next episode recording with Brad, we're going to be talking about people, the number of people having sex in the recliners. recliners too. I yeah. think it's important we un uncover that. Good to talk to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I, well, look at the time. And that's the beginning of that spot that we're going to send you for the Christian right. radio station. All right. <laughs> Brad, thanks. You are a rock star. We are so grateful. Oh, you to guys you. are too kind. Thank you for being with us and uh, keep doing what you're doing and uh, keep uh, developing door counts. We love it. Uh, we know a lot of our retailers love it. So uh, thanks for delivering what you do. You guys are awesome. Thanks, man. You can bounce on it. Oh, oh. Yeah, bounce with it, bounce with it. Oh. Bounce with it, bounce with it. Alright. What is a hybrid? It's like peanut butter jelly, peanut butter chocolate. Hybrid so tight, there's no way that you could topple it. Hybrid on my wrist, that's a calculator watch. We add ourselves together and we take it up a notch. Got the airflow, yo, keep you cool as it get. Visco foam alone to make you drip sweat. Get a hybrid mattress, yes, you'll get better rest. Cool and comfortable, hybrid like a sweater vest. You know the game, we're ahead of the sun. Cause the two of us together are way better than one. Cause I'm cool as ice and I'm hot like like a heater bounce by the ounce now we got it by the leader well you take a spring and you wrap it up right you can sleep so smooth the bounce all night yeah. put two together get a whole lot more get the feel of the comfort core you can bounce on it lay back you don't have to practice
somebody to get in your vicinity You probably wanna feel a little bit of a hybridity From alone? Out of five, maybe one star Springs and foam, we're taking care of that lumbar Mad back support The best way to shack up or just get rest That won't mess your back up Like a hot chick mixed with a particle physicist Or a mullet party in the back of the business Best of both worlds like Mars and Venus The ultimate hybrid Nothing short of genius Keeping it loose while keeping it tight We can make you sleep or play all night Put two together, get a whole lot more Get the feel of the comfort core You can bounce on it No stopping when the beat gets played back Springs keep it popping, phone keeps it laid back Party over here, get invited Everybody get hybrid What kind of bed do you keep back there? Does your girl wanna chill on a beanbag chair? Hell no! You need springs and foam Cause if that bowling ball don't bounce You'll be sleeping alone And if the bed don't react Then you can't get low We got that type of bounce That won't spill your Merlot So stick with us And you'll get rewarded Cause I'm so gentle And I'm so supportive is where the magic is And we just killed a song about mattresses Oh, <laughs>